Welcome to the end of the road, the inaugural podcast of the Wrangell Mountains Center. In this series, we share tales of and from the Wrangell Mountains. We hope that these stories provide perspective and bring together friends and neighbors, both near and far, in mutual love and appreciation for our unique mountain community. I'm John Erdman. And I'm Jesse Sheldon. A difference between then and now is that then, once you got to McCarthy, let alone the backcountry, McCarthy was the backcountry, there was no communication with the outside. No, no internet, internet, no telephone. And no telephone, that's the interesting the thing. The key too. thing is no telephone. Yeah. In those days, speaking as the old geezer, it had a lot more of that connotation. There was here and there was outside. And my perception is that it is still a lot of what brings and holds people here, is the sense of a separate space. That's Ben Shane, one of the founders of the Wrangell Mountain Center. My name is Ben. I live up in Sweet Creek. In this End of the Road episode, Ben reflects on his 50 years in the Wrangell Mountains, as well as on the 230 million years before he got here. I initially came here as a sort of as a fighter, raised in the wilderness preservation movement politically out of the 60s and the conflicts of the 60s to preserve and protect the character and quality of this place. We're so grateful that Ben sat down with us to get our podcast off the ground and help us tell the stories of this place and this community from the perspective of someone who has seen McCarthy grow and change for over half a century. And that's the driving engine for this podcast. We believe in the power of community. And we want to remind our neighbors about the places and stories that hold us together, particularly now during times of national and international tension and uncertainty and momentous change. The stress has certainly filtered down to the community level here. And like all communities, we are seeking to navigate it with grace and generosity. This is what I so much appreciate about the stories and reflections that Ben shares with us now. Listening to Ben gives me a sense of perspective. Ben is one of the founders of the Wrangell Mountain Center He is the author of the novel Alaska Dragon on sale at the old hardware store on the Wrangell Mountain Center campus. The novel, like Ben's reflections and stories we share today, is poetic and spiritual, but also grounded in scientific exploration and inquiry. Ben weaves effortlessly between the analytical and the artistic, and this holistic perspective is, to this day, a very important element of the culture of the Wrangell Mountain Center. This podcast is brought to you by the Wrangell Mountain Center and is made possible by the financial contributions of our supporters. And also made possible by Jesse Sheldon, our producer, engineer, and Wrangell Mountain Center artist in residence. Now back to Ben with what first drew him to the Wrangells and how he ended up staying in this place for half a century. Most of my time here has been engaged in a fight to preserve. I initially came here as a sort of as a fighter, I accidentally happened into the Wrangles when I was wandering around Alaska with some college buddies. And then I was hired to help start the environmental studies program at UC Santa Cruz. And part of that job was to bring undergrads to Alaska to study areas for their potential protection of their wilderness values. The place that we started was McCarthy and the Wrangles. The woman who became my wife, then Marcy and I, 
ended up living a, a year, winter of 75, 76, at Spruce Point, uh, which is a couple ranges upstream from the Kennecott River here in the Chitna Valley. And that was the beginning of it. Once that happened, we were hooked. To visit Ben at his home, John and I bike up a long dirt road with all our recording gear in tow, then hike up a smaller, narrow dirt road, then scramble up a switchbacking path through the woods until we get to Ben's house, where we spend our first few minutes soaking up the view, looking out across the Kennecott Glacier towards Fireweed Peak. Ben points out the mini summit on the left shoulder of the mountain and introduces it to us as Bear Hump, which he explains earned its nickname on the first day of a Wrangell Mountain Center college program many summers ago, when students hiking up the ridge encountered a pair of mating grizzly bears. After a good laugh and catching our breath from the hike up, we make our way up the hill to a shady tent platform where we sit down and begin unpacking Ben's thoughts, reflections, and stories from a lifetime in the Wrangles. What we're talking about is how to look at the stories that span the period of time of people who are still here, like myself in my 70s, and convey something interesting and important that includes old geezer stories and what it was like in the old days, but has some direct relevance to now. What I find is I can usually, whatever's going on in the world, I can find here. And I can use it to understand what's going on there or vice versa. And if you look at current events, like you name it, virus or climate change or whatever, what kind of relevance does being here have? Clearly, it, it's an escape of sorts from being elsewhere or some. But is it just that? And I, I think mm -hmm. not. Right. A difference between then and now is that then, once you got to McCarthy, let alone the backcountry. McCarthy was the backcountry. There was no communication with the outside, except in McCarthy, there was weekly mail plane, and there was one-way messaging through the Christian radio station in Glenelg and the Caribou Clatters. But other than that, you, you didn't talk two-way. You, you could receive news of the world via a five-minute newscast through the Christian radio station in Glen Allen, if you had like a hundred foot wire strung between trees in the yard <laughs> to pick up the signal. So knowledge of the world on the outside was limited to what might come in printed, you know, like newspapers, journals, magazines, or letters that had taken typically maybe weeks to get here. And the perspective on the world through whatever news service the KCAM in Glen Allen was subscribing to. That created, for me, for me and my wife Marcy, our friends, Curtis and Loy, people like Gary Green and Sally Gibbert, you left the world. And for some of us, I think for quite a few people, in different ways, expressed in different ways in different people, it was an intentional leaving of the world. That's where I think the communication changes all the way to now. We have broadband internet right here where we sit, which is absurd. Uh, we have better internet right here than many people across the country or across the world have. Many of my friends who have been around for a while bemoan the changes that make it easier to be out here, which makes you less dependent on your neighbor, too, because everything, all information flowed within the community. Well, I'll tell a story, and it deserves to be told. So 
Amor. Amor being your partner. Yes. And her two children. Yes. Amor and the kids were coming back from McCarthy a few days ago from the swimming hole. And uh, Amor edged off the edge of the road. So she didn't even feel safe getting out of the car for fear it would then slide off the edge more. She mm -hmm. had the kids out. Within 10 minutes, a Wrangell Mountain Air van had gone by, stopped. Two trucks were there, and Steve, the mechanic for Wrangell Mountain Air, was engaged in pulling the vehicle out. And she was on her way back home within 15 minutes. Nobody asked for any thanks. It just happened. That's special. You know, if it had been in any modest-sized city in Washington State, it would have been tow trucks and insurance, you know, and the local trooper or the city police person being called right away, all that. And that reminded me very much of what I've known here for a half century. It's still here. Hearing Ben's stories of bustling traffic and roadside rescues by the swimming hole, it was easy to lose track of just how remote this place is. The nearest pavement is 60 miles down a dirt road, across a footbridge, a five-mile bike ride, and an additional 15-minute hike from where we sit on the tent platform. This place just is beautiful in, in its own way, just aesthetically, even just looking at it if you don't understand beyond. That's okay, but how can you look deeper? Some of the work that I'm now studying, that I'm reading, that's coming out of, uh, mostly out of geology, which is understandings of the physical character of this place and biological character that have changed over the period of time that I've been here. There's fascinating research, papers coming out almost by the month now, whose underpinnings and foundations were just starting to be developed 40-some years ago when I first had contact with the people who were doing the research. I'm looking at both of you now, and I'm looking past you at the willows and the spruce here around this, this tent platform. And um, Mount Blackburn is, I can just barely see through the trees behind you. In color, shape, form, and the sound of the breeze, there's a vividness. This is not Kansas. Okay. You can talk all you want about all these other points, but the fact is, if you were having the same discussion in an equally sized town in Kansas that was way remote, way off in the cornfields, it would not be the same conversation. And there's a reason. And it's not just that the Wrangell Mountains are pretty or that you can list how many high peaks there are. This physical place has power, has a vividness, has an intensity. I was so struck by this hearing Ben speak of the Wrangles in this way. It still moves me every time I hear it. It was, in fact, this vividness and intensity that was one of the reasons why the Wrangell Mountain Center was founded decades ago, in a time when cassette tapes were the cutting-edge technology. Since Ben helped create the Wrangell Mountain Center in the 1970s, our mission has remained the same, to connect people with wild lands through art, science, and education. We do this largely through in-person programs on site in the Wrangles, but this podcast and other similar internet adventures have expanded our ability to connect you with the Wrangles, even when you aren't here. And we heartily thank our supporters for making this possible. Ben reflects now on the ongoing cycles of catastrophe, regrowth, and regeneration that he discovers as he walks through two stories from the Wrangles. 
an epic story of dinosaurs and deep time, and a story about the last hundred years in the McCarthy community. To me, Ben's words provide much appreciated perspective, a perspective that opens up space for hope. Okay, I'll tell two stories, and then work from the stories back to the themes. 225, 230 million years ago, there was a very large outflow of igneous rock, a volcanic eruption, huge one, in the ocean off the coast of the continent quite a ways, in the tropics. And it was like the formation of Hawaii times 10 or 100, at least. Huge. And it was enough so that it changed the climate of the whole world. The outpouring of that stuff changed ocean chemistry, changed climate, and apparently from new research that's just coming out, changed the climate of the world from being predominantly dry to being predominantly wet. I heard it described as a two million year period of rainfall. <laughs> it looks like it's gonna rain, how long? Oh, about two million years. <laughs> and it did. That led to global extinctions and simplification of ecosystems. And what came out of that was the expansion of the dinosaurs and the creation of the corals, among other things. That extinction event and regeneration event that generated the dinosaurs, uh, that's called the Carnian Pluvial Event, or the CPE in the literature. So that outpouring of igneous material got all compressed over time with other stuff, rock being laid on top of it. And it got all moved and wrinkled and moved north and east and collided with the continent. And it's now here, it's the greenstone. That's the base layer of the Kennecott Valley. So now that rock, which was eventually way underground because other things had been deposited on top of it, the stuff that's on top of it got eroded away and then the glaciers cut into it. So what was like ground level, what would be ground level 2,000 meters above our heads, 6,000 feet above our heads, is now gone. We're in a trough cut by the glaciers, exposing the greenstone. The way I've come, been, been thinking about it recently is I've been feeling myself inside, in contact with this 230 million year old event, which was a catastrophe. And then its outcome was opportunity and regrowth. So it becomes part of a story of recovery from catastrophe on that scale. And the, the notion of, of ongoing change, episodic catastrophe, and regeneration, and creation. Then you have all of the history, to, what was it, more than, you know, 100 million years, more than, way more than 100 million years of history, to the next big catastrophe, which was the combination of volcanic eruptions and the asteroid wiping out the dinosaurs. Again, you had that creative void. And what came out of that? Us. The mammals, all of the history of the last 66 million years, and eventually us. So if you're at the Mile High Cliffs, if you're on the Nazina River or, or Dan Creek or something and looking across the Mile High Cliffs, basically the Mile High Cliffs span those 
two catastrophes. And it's sitting there. It's like you're, we're sitting immersed in it because it's been all like this, but it's been cut away. So we're right in it. We're these tiny specks in this huge physical expression of that story. That makes it so fun to read the geologic technical literature because it's like this, this unfolding novel. <laughs> so, so that's one story that's here, but then there's a second one. In McCarthy, there's the story of the mining era. So you have the Ott and the living here and coming, coming up this way in the summertime to hunt and to uh, collect copper. But within that context, suddenly the Euro-Americans show up and there, by chance, there's the discovery of these huge pods of calcocite and other copper ore in Bonanza Mountain. And whoop, there's the town of McCarthy and Kennecott and the farmsteads across the way and the railroad and the, all the hoopla and Cordova and the steamships going to Tacoma and the Tacoma smelter and all that. By 1911, it's operating. 27 years later, 1938, it's done. And then there's a period of creative void. To me, the most interesting period, actually, which is that ghost town era. So once all that industrialization and all the fuss around the Wall Street syndicate and everything left, there was something uh, that became visible that otherwise had been invisible. This is a story, the way I talk about it with my students. Take a place like Seattle, there you had uh, the industrial boom around the beginning of the 20th century. Whatever it was, it grew from there. The wave washed in, but it never washed out. Here you had the wave wash in and then wash out again, leaving everything stranded. And then a few years later, come around 1990, there starts to be the current era, which is built around national parkness and... Uh, wilderness and scenic appreciation and all. It's created a different, brought another culture here that's on the, sort of on the same scale as the mining one. And we don't know how long it's going to last. You can see where I'm getting at here is two obvious stories about living with catastrophe and recovery from catastrophe. You had a presence and an absence. You had a, a building and a collapse that's really visible. We are now acknowledging, I think, in ways we didn't, that the vulnerability of everything to that kind of pattern, the way the world is, this is no great surprise. The importance of looking directly and accurately at what's really happening. So could it be more possible to do that when you're living in a place where that kind of history, 230 million year history, and then the roughly a century or a little more history is so vividly evident if you're open to seeing it. I mean, to me, it is so powerful to just be at my own home here and feel the presence of the arriving and the extinction of the dinosaurs. Mm. I'm in that. Then how do I feel about COVID and climate change and the politics and so forth? What that provides a context? But when I think of, of kids now, whether they be which is all of us, but especially like, you know, the young members of my family. How do we go day to day given the 
situation we're in. These stories seem to be important. It seems like one of the lessons as we're in this time of transition in the world um, and as we're feeling that transition here at a local level, um, you know, it, it feels like these stories are so important because they give us that, that hope and that possibility that as things change, it does open up these creative voids and it does open up possibilities for us to continue writing our own stories yes. on the backs of those whose stories have come before us. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think there's something hopeful there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The vision of the Wrangell Mountain Center is people and wild places thriving together in a changing world. Ben's stories certainly convey what an incredibly dynamic world we live in. If you appreciated this podcast, help us with your financial support so that we can continue broadcasting stories from the Wrangells and the McCarthy community. You can donate to the Wrangell Mountain Center through our website, www.wrangells.org. That's Wrangells with two L's. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter, check out our programs, and find us on Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for the release of the next episode of The End of the Road, our second of two interviews with Wrangell Mountain Center founders. Sally Gibbert joins us to talk a little bit about what it was like to buy an old hardware store in McCarthy back in the 1970s when McCarthy was still a ghost town. I'm John Erdman, Executive Director of the Wrangell Mountain Center. And I'm Jesse Sheldon, End of the Road producer and engineer and Wrangell Mountain Center artist-in-residence. Special thanks to Ben Shane for his hospitality and reflections. And thanks for joining us at the end of the road.